Welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. My name is Phil Strum, so glad you've joined me today. My guest today is in pretty much every pro wrestling hall of fame that matters. It is Gerald Briscoe. He was part of one of the greatest tag teams of all time with his brother, Jack Briscoe, who's also one of the greatest NWA World Heavyweight Champions of all time. Gerald was a superb in-ring competitor in his own right. He's one of the most influential people in WWE history uh, from the mid-80s all the way to the 2000s. Some might best remember him as one of Mr. McMahon's stooges alongside the legendary Pat Patterson. Nowadays, you can find him on the podcast, Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw, where he and JBL interview some of the all-time greats from prior generation in depth. It'll be a really fascinating show. So here we go right now with my interview with the one and only Gerald Briscoe. Honored to be joined today by one of the all-time greats, multi-time Hall of Famer, the one and only Gerald Briscoe. Mr. Briscoe, thank you so much for joining me today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. Well, thank you, Phil. It's, it's great to be here, man. I've been under the ring so many times. That, that's, that, that's an uncomfortable place to be in real life. But I'm sure with you, you'll make it comfortable. And I think we'll get through this thing with flying colors. Very, very good. Uh, so in 2023, 2024, you're, you're a podcaster. You've got stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw going on. How much fun are you having working on that show and chatting with some of the wrestlers of the various generations? And how, how did that all come about? Well, I, I, I hope it comes across. I'm having the ball. I'm having the time of my life. That's just rehashing old stories. You know, you know, John and I, yes, how I came with back. You know, a lot, a lot of these things spawned out of COVID. A lot of good things spawned out of COVID. And we were sitting there, and I was doing some goofy stuff with my good friend Taylor Williamson, the, the great comedian from America's Got Talent, who's on tour, by the way, right now. And Taylor and I was doing, you know, according to Bristol stories of Bristol and all that. And Bradshaw was doing uh, updates on different sports and different, you know, he's a smart guy, so he's doing stock tips and all that stuff. So we kind of got bored with doing our own stuff, and he called me one day and he said, hey, man, why don't we do this stuff together? We've always got to have a good relationship together and got along together. Let's try it. And I said, what do you want to do? He said, just tell old road stories, you know. We don't want to hit on any of the negative stuff because there's enough negativity out there. Let other people do that. And I think it's, it's kind of probably cost us a few, uh, few audience members, too, because we don't get that negative stuff. But John's not like that, and I'm not like that. So we just dwell on the fun side of the business of professional wrestling, you know, the old story, the old road stories about Teddy Long leaving the, leaving the Ron Simmons in a blizzard on the side of the highway after he got out to, to urinate one trip. And, uh, <laughs> and Ron, Ron's reaction when he got back in the car, of course, said he feared for his life, you know, as Ron got in the car. But we just tell fun road stories. So it kind of happened, you know, just to fill some time during COVID because nobody could do anything. And then it just, we just kept on doing it. And, you know, all these guys that we have on, not only are legends in the business, but there are good friends. You know, Stan Hansen. I went up and down the road with them, been to Japan, been all over the world. And some of these guys, you know, travel the world. So I think that's the reason it comes across how much fun we're having because they're not only guests and famous guests, but they're good friends of ours. And that's, that's what I enjoy most is getting some of the stories out of my good friends and share them, share with the guys. Yeah, I really enjoyed the one you had with uh, Reverend Slick and the fun story about you accidentally throwing him out of the uh, <laughs> the James L. Knight Center in Miami on his first day in the uh, in the in the company. That was a pretty fun one. Has anything come up on there that surprised you in any way? Any shows that really surprised you with kind of a you know where the conversation ended up going? 
Well, I mean, not really surprising because, you know, you have a little bit of control what comes on, but every, every once in a while, you know, some Teddy Long, I mean, you, you never know where Teddy's on. Teddy was a lot of fun to have on. Teddy's just got that personality. And Ron Simmons, you know, Ron's a you know, real big stoic type guy that you don't get a lot of conversation out of him. But, you know, Ron's, of course, a tag team partner with John for so long that they had a good relationship. And, you know, Ron broke that in in the business down here in Tampa. There's a couple of blocks that he went back to the gym with just a few blocks and just a dozen body shop. So I got to know him. So, you know, the the, the friendship. But uh, I, I can't say I've been uh, shocked at any. I'm always, I, I, I mean, you know, you always want for the, the ultimate show. Uh, and you don't always get it. But when you do get it, you know you got it. And it just feels so good. And John and I will call each other. Like yesterday, uh, the drop today, um, whatever you today, January 4th, with Savio Vega. I hadn't seen Savio, talked to Savio in probably over 10 years. Talking to him yesterday put a smile on my face and John's face. It, Savio was John's first opponent in the WWE, the WWF at the time. John had his first angle uh, with, with Savio. First big money program he had with Savio. So. They hadn't seen each other in years, so it's great to see that yeah, that reunion type deal and and to get the conversations out of them. And probably I'll set the conversation with the CE, set the pleasure to have on. So it was a lot of fun. I have fun doing them all. Uh, you know, we had a thing about it. we we do variety. Vince McMahon said, you know, wrestling's a variety show. TV's a variety show. Give them a variety. So we we, we take pride in you know during the Super Bowl we had on the. Uh, Gerald Austin, Super Bowl, uh, referee three Super Bowl, had him, had him on talking about the Super Bowl. We've had Brad Johnson, quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, on, you know, Super Bowl winning champion uh, quarterback. We've had Wade Boggs on, Hall of Fame baseball player. We, 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 we had all different types of sports people on and all different personalities. We not only go for the wrestlers, but we go, you know, Tony Chimble, Mark Mike Keola. Referees, Jimmy Corderas, we, 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 uh, stagehands, back, backstage writers, you know, like, like some of the writers that helped produce all this stuff, you know. Uh, Freddie Prince, he's been on it. Uh, just, just a plethora, as they say, of, of different, different times of, of our business there. And I think that's important, getting the stories from every aspect of a business. Yeah, that's that's really great. And then, uh, you know, for somebody like you and and for John, too, like you weren't in every territory. So you're getting to learn about all sorts of different territories the guys were in, too, and and kind of the ways that they did things. So that's what kind of makes it fun for me is just sort of that exchange of ideas. I just love good conversations about pro wrestling. And you guys you guys definitely deliver the goods uh, every week. It's still is it still kind of shocking for you or any of the other guests to tell kind of like real life behind the scenes stuff when the with the era of kayfabe just kind of being like sort of gone in a way great question phil yeah yeah it is and you know sometimes i think man should i answer that question honestly do i really have to go there you know but you know what uh, it's great for our business look you know Vince mcmahon's coming to business Vince mcmahon's coming to business explosive you know i mean come on i was in the fifth grade third grade when i first started wrestling uh wrestling and watching professional wrestling I knew that it wasn't real because I was going in the gym every day and wrestling people. But I loved the athletic ability of all of those stars, and I loved the storylines that they were trying to get 
so strong. I love the heat, y'all. My all-time favorite was Danny Hodge and Angelo Sabota on the old-time Northeastern Rapids. Danny, Danny had a bloodbath uh, feud going with Angelo Sabota. so bad that Danny didn't smarten his dad up. And one night, his dad jumped in the ring and sliced uh, Angelo from uh, from hip to the, down to his thigh, down, down wow. to, the, to his ankle. And Danny tried to stop it, and Danny's dad was so enraged, he turned and he sliced Danny. Danny had to have like 30 some odd stitches. In. That was my hook to professional wrestling. Plus, the staff, you know, Jody Hamilton and Tom Ernesto against the Kentuckians, it was Big Boy Brown and and Grizzly Smith. They had bloodbaths all over the, all over the New York territory. That, that's what got me hooked on professional wrestling. But they big big old storylines that they that, that come up with, and that that that, that yeah, that's where you got me. Wow, should I tell all that stuff? Yeah, damn right it is because it's history and it's interesting. And so, and, and in the beginning it was kind of well, no, I won't go there. But now you know, and anything anything free game now. Yeah, and your wrestling career is legendary in its own right, but your job as a WWE official was so important. And to me, one of the most interesting things you did was begin to scout amateur wrestling. When you're looking at scouting amateur wrestling from a pro wrestling standpoint, what are you looking for? And who were some of the amateur guys that went through WWE who their first contact into the business was Gerald Briscoe? Isn't that amazing? I mean, you know, you think back all the years, you know, even when Jack and I started, there weren't that many guys switching out of amateur wrestling into two professional wrestling. And one of them was the old, well, it's all phony. It's all fake. You don't do it. It's all low brown and all that stuff. But I think that's kind of WWE kind of brought it out of the shadows and made it more mainstream. Where a lot of these kids are now looking at it, maybe that is a good alternative for them. So I like to think Jack and I, along with Daddy Hodge, kind of set the standard, you know, hey, it's okay. You know, when Jack and I started, Jack, of course, had much more muscular amateur career than I did. We both attended Oklahoma State, but he won a natural title there. Jack said, why are you doing that stuff? Well, Jack said, hey, I'm, I got married and I have two kids. I got three kids. I got to feed my family. This, right. is a, this is the way to feed my family. So respect me. And so... I like to think, you know, we were the kind of forerunners in that. And then the guys like Bob Brooks started coming along. But I find it amazing that there weren't guys out there active like me recruiting the talent base from amateur wrestling and from amateur sports, uh, not only the wrestling part, but amateur sports. And when I when I started getting up there in age and that road life just killed it, I was getting kind of fed up with the road life and everything. And JR and I used to have conversations, you know. Yeah, hey, what do you want to do when, when you get out of this stuff? And I said, yeah, I said, true, truthfully, what I'd like to be, I'd like to go out to college rank and recruit a lot of these guys and change the perception of, of, of the amateur wrestlers that they have about professional wrestling. And I think I'm the perfect one to do it because I know it was my generation of coaches that were just coming up, you know, like, like I tell the story of Brock Lesnar. His college coach was, and, and I.J. Robinson we were in the same recruiting class in Oklahoma State, so I had an inside road, inside contact with Brock right off the bat. And out of Brock, you know, Jay said, hey, I got another guy sitting here with him. I want you to take two. And Jeldon Benberg, one of the greatest athletes to come along in WWE. Yeah. So, so um, the perception in the beginning was kind of rough and kind of tough and kind of break that ice, but they knew my background. They knew my love of amateur wrestling. 
and I knew I wasn't going to lie to him, going to stretch the story, you know, about professional. I was going to tell him the truth about it. Anybody, any of those coaches or kids ask me about about it, I would I would break it down to whatever they wanted to break down. But I always thought it was kind of strange that nobody ever going to Bergani was the closest one that ever went out and recruited me in the absent. I knew that. And Eddie Graham also did it in a, at a more limited basis. Vern being right there in the fertile ground in Minnesota, where a lot of amateur wrestling comes from, he had, he had the, 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 the most people to pick for where Eddie was down there in Florida and there were no college wrestling down here at the time. So yeah, it was kind of more snub pickings down here. But Eddie, he went, went all the way up to, to uh, I think it was Ohio, to recruit Bob Brook and a couple other guys. But Mike, wow. the greatest thing that happened down there was when uh, my grand, uh, my grand started uh, school wrestling. There wasn't a lot of a lot of high school wrestling down there, and a lot of guys. So Eddie started stockpiling Florida Championship wrestling with a lot of amateur wrestlers. I mean, you know, a lot, a lot of, most of the guys down there could take care of themselves and you know have that background. So I kind of got that. So I told the good old Jr. I said, I want to be a talent guy. We don't have that department. I said, Well, why don't we start one? So. I like to take care of me and Jr. Actually, started the, the talent recruiting department, uh, talent relations for for WWE. And you see kind of where it's gone now, and it's it's interesting to me because uh, you know a lot of people are like, oh well, why doesn't WWE do more with independent wrestlers and stuff like that? And they do do a they good do. amount of that, but it's so important for these wrestling companies to look at amateur athletics for talent. It seems like they go so much harder on it now. They've they've expanded it so much. You see gymnasts, you see track and field stars, you see football players who you know obviously those spots are limited in in pro football who have all succeeded. You see all sorts breaking in. What what to you is kind of like the key to breaking into wrestling when you're coming from something else? Uh, just an open mind and 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 that open mind that be ready for anything. And and, and as you know, and you've been around our business long enough to know anything happens in our business, and, 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 and it's just wide open and the fields. But just have an open mind about it and. The important thing, the thing that I always say, you know, say, and Jack and I both had the same attitude, it was easy for us to make that transition because, A, we knew it was a business. B, we knew we loved it and, and on down the line there. So when you come in and knowing it's a business, and that's what I try to stress to these guys, hey, you can be the greatest athlete in the world, but if you don't have that inner promotional mind, that inner mind that, you know, there's more for me than just in the ring, then, then you, you're probably looking at the wrong business to, to get in the career with. But have that open mind that it is a business. Wins or losses don't mean deadly. It's it's drawing the people in the, in the house of there. Go in there with that attitude. Hey, as I'm getting into a business, I'm getting into a, I'm going to have a well-paid career if I, if I work my butt off and I follow the rules and I do everything I'm, that's required of me. Not only doing everything that's required of me, stepping over that line. I was an average size guy, and been probably a small considered a small guy in the business. But I always knew it was a business, and that was the side I wanted to get in right, right from the very get go. I wanted to be in that promotion side of the business, right, right from the very first. Before I ever laid on a pair of boots, I wanted to be a promoter. Interesting, and of course, uh, 
you know, you're talking about you and your brother, one of the greatest tag teams of all time. Your brother, one of the greatest, if not the greatest NWA World Heavyweight Champion of all time, too. Um, I needed to ask about Jack and Jerry Briscoe versus Terry and Dory Funk Jr., one of the best tag team rivalries in the history of pro wrestling. What to you made that rivalry so great and what made the matches so big for everybody? You know, Terry and I, and, and Terry later, later live, right before he passed, I was talking to Terry probably twice a month, two or three times a month. I'd, I'd call Terry or he would call me. And we got into several conversations about it. And Terry, Terry always put it, the way he saw it, it was four athletic guys out there who had no ego, who, who had confidence in their partners and had confidence in their opponents that whatever went on out there, that you were going to be able to do it. And there were never any grudges back and forth. Hey, you got to do this, and we didn't get to do it. But Terry Terry said, we had four uh, great athletes, for Terry and, and Dory were, were great uh, amateur football players. And Dory Funk Sr., a lot of people don't know, but Dory Funk Sr. was one of the greatest wrestlers that in the amateur wrestlers that Indiana ever produced. He was a multi-time state champion ever. Matter of fact, his high school gym wanted to name the gym after him, the wrestling room after him. And I think they did, but <laughs> from what I heard, they eventually tore the school down. But that's how that, and so they were schooled in, in amateur wrestling. Everything just clicked there. You had four young athletes coming right out of college, you know, which was, was, was unusual getting four guys together like that that didn't have the egos, you know, worried about, am I going to get my shit in, as they say now, then. And you, you also had you had two Texans and you had two Oklahomans and you had two Cowboys and you had two Indians. Everything kind of just slipped into place in, in that angle. And plus we gave people what they wanted to see, you know, action. And then your brother Jack and Dory, it's funny now when people refer to a match that isn't exactly a technical classic, they say, well, you know, it's not exactly uh, Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk Jr. But what what made those matches so great for you, uh, you know, watching them. It was an education to me. I mean, I'd sit there, I'd sit there, I had the privilege of sitting ringside a lot of their 60-minute matches, and, you know, and, and what, what they had a routine. Sure, they had a routine. you got to have your routine, but they also, each match, each night, each 60-minute match was totally different from the night before. And back in the old days, you know, I hate to even say it, well, my day, you know, this up. But back in my day, you know, you had you had to be in that town 52 weeks out of the year. You know, every every Monday night or every Tuesday night, you were in, in that same town. You had the same crowd. So you had to change up your matches, the versatility of these guys. But the chemistry Jack and Dory had was unlike two guys that, that I've ever seen. And even to this day, it, it's, it's unmatched in any of the matches that you took today. But they just had that that confident feeling with each other that I can go out there and I can initiate something and I know my partner will follow it. Jack or Dory one, I, I know they'll do it. So the cooperation level and the athletic ability of both, I mean, I mean, everybody said Jack Smith is the greatest arm drag in the business. You know? And, and, you know, sure it was the greatest arm drag in the business. You know what great, made that arm drag the greatest in the business? The way Dory Funk Jr. took that arm drag. Wow, a lot of guys didn't take it like Dory did, and, and, and it wasn't as spectacular as Jack putting it on on another guy's money to get the door. But Jack knew that he could go to that move, and it would get the audience standing right away because of the way Dory took the bump. 
Yeah, that, that's fantastic. I, I love hearing about that stuff. And I love watching the, that footage, too, of uh, seeing those guys. You and your brother, if I'm not mistaken, were among, if not the first people to discover a young Hulk Hogan. Uh, what was your first thought in your mind as you took a look at that uh, physical yeah. specimen? You know, yeah, yeah. Thank you for asking that question. Thank you for saying that. But sometimes I even doubt I was even along there. You know, you hear all these guys take credit. I don't want to take credit for Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan gets all the credit for Hulk Hogan. He's the one that did it. But yeah, we, we, Jack and I were young and we liked to go to bars and drink them. We, we kept seeing this big old blonde headed guy, about fifth or sixth row of the Fort Army Army down in Tampa, Florida, where we had our Tuesday night, night matches in Tampa. Kept sending. So one night we went, we just ventured into this college bar over on the other side of town there. And up on the stage was this guy that we'd seen in, in the Karate Gym. And we knew knew the little girl waiting the table. Hey, who is that? Well, that's, that's Terry Bollet up there. I said, we'd like to talk to him about dinner. Oh, he loves that. I said, no, we, we see him every Tuesday night. Can we talk to him? She said, I'll go talk to him. So she set up a meeting during one of their breaks. And, and from there, we, we, we set up the, the workout. I don't know everybody takes credit for that, but Jack and I were there, and Terry, Terry was there. So we, we, we got him down, and he, he, we got him in the workout with, with, with Matt Schutter. Matt Schutter took advantage of him because, you know, the guys really don't know what to do when they're in the ring with somebody like Hugo Matt Schutter. Matt Schutter didn't break his ankle, but he twisted it where Terry couldn't walk. And we go, well, that's the end of him. That's the end of their walk and roll. <laughs> you know, we ain't going to see that kid around. A week later, he came back with his ankle taped up and his boots strapped on a little bit tighter. And he said, I'm ready for a go again. And he got in the rain. He handled himself. And, of course, he really went a little bit easier with him because we saw the determination he had. And it didn't take a, a damn road scholar to look at him and say, man, this guy's got all the physical food that, that, that you need. But. One of the stigmas of the old-time professional wrestling is your hometown. You know, you don't want to break in in your hometown because, you know, you're coming up, you got to get beat a lot, and you got a guy looking like Terry. We didn't want to beat Terry a lot, and we didn't. So he didn't get a lot of bookings in Tampa, so he just got a lot of the little spot, what we call spot shows, a little high school gym. Until he was ready, and then he was ready, and we, we called Louis Collette, and we sent him up to run the panel up in Pensacola for Ron Cole and, and Louis Collette was doing the book up there. And they, they, of course, saw him, and they, they, they nurtured him on, and they sent him up to Waller from there, and Waller did the same thing, so all this deal. I always told Terry, Terry, when you're ready, and you're, you're the only one that's going to know when you're ready, you want to go to New York, because we knew right away, New York was the place you got to go for, yeah. for that size. You know, back in our, our, our era, that, that's where all the big guys went to make the big money. And so one day... Jack and I were playing pool, and my pool room back in the back of my house. And I would knock on the door, and I looked down, and there's damn Terry and, and Ed Leslie, uh, Beacon. Great. They come in, and Terry said, you always tell me when I'm ready to come and see you, and you guys will call, call Vincent. I'm ready. And Jack said, okay, Jack, on the telephone, called Vincent, and Vince booked him right away on Jack's word that this kid can possibly be a big superstar for you. So he went up there, and as they said, the rest is history. Yeah, I, I loved I, I heard an interview with him not too long ago where he was talking about his, you know, his start as a fan even. And he basically said, I wanted to look like superstar and I wanted to sell like Dusty. And I thought that was just perfect because that's exactly what he kind of became, because really his selling was the whole key to all of his work 
in the ring. Like that was what brought the people to their feet. I always get really uh, upset when I hear Hulk Hogan wasn't a great worker. Hulk Hogan was a fantastic worker. Could he do all the flip-flops and flies that he got to do? I don't know he couldn't. A lot of guys couldn't. But with a body like and size like Harry had, it's like you didn't need to do all those flip-flops and flies. And, but he picked the two most charismatic guys in Florida Championship Pressing at the time, Superstar Graham and, uh, to, you know, to kind of look like because he was kind of built like, like Billy was. And, and of course, Dusty, one of the best big men sellers, and uh, Dusty got Dusty admitted all the time that he got his selling part of it from Jack Briscoe. That's where Dusty picked up his selling from. So basically, what you're seeing when you see Terry selling is Jack Briscoe goes on down the line to a Jack Briscoe sell. It's amazing how many wrestling trees we have with, uh, you know, Eddie Graham kind of yeah. being a Vince guy and then also yeah. giving people to Vince. And then yeah. you got Dusty and you got Briscoe here and everything. When, when it comes to working with Vince McMahon, what made him so effective and so successful? And what was it like being on the ground floor of building WWE? And I know that's kind of a loaded question. Yeah, well, number one, I mean... Uh, what what's it like to be around Vince? I mean, wow! I mean, the guy, you better be ready twenty four seven when you go to work for the guy. And everybody, well, he likes you. Yes. Vince McMahon hated yes guys. I mean, you know, he he had them. Yeah, yeah, he had them. But did he depend on? No, he depended on more of the guys like Pat. Pat was for the same from a yes man to them in the business. You know, the Bruce Richard. Bruce Bruce is, is not a yes man enough. A lot of these guys, but then working with Vince, just seeing, you know, right away. I mean, I'll go back to uh, Starcade 83, was the first big, big, big Monterey event, uh, you know, in our era uh, of the professional wrestling. And, and then seeing what Vince was able to do with the production and, and turn it into uh, WrestleMania. And, and seeing that vision, Vince just had that vision from an early, early stage of his promotional career of what he wanted to do. And, you know, when we, when we made up our mind to go for the cell, you know, we kind of talked to Jimmy, kind of talked to Wyatt, and talked to other guys about it. But uh, just seeing what Vince was building and his, his, his vision for the, for, the, uh, for the future of the business. Just blew me away. And not only that, but he was in the heart of the media world, media capital of the world, New York City at the time. And so we knew that all the tools were at his disposal. So that's kind of the reason we went to Vince. But being with him, it was an experience each day. And I mean, and, 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 and Bird gets up early. I get a call at 7 o'clock in the morning. He'd already read the agent report. Let's go, why did you do that last night? Why did you tell him to do it? And I'd have to explain step by step why why I did, and then he would break it down what was right and what was wrong. With it. So just his vision and his work ethic just blew me away. And obviously, uh, some uh, various allegations about him ended up with him out of the company back in, and then sort of sort of an advisory role now. And now Paul Levesque, uh, Triple H, leading creative. Um, any any thoughts about the different allegations and stuff? But also just like your thoughts on Triple H kind of uh, running the show these days. Well, I, you know, I was at with Vince at a different time, and I was with Vince when he was building, not not after he had built it. I was working, of course, after he had built it and was on public and everything. But in the beginning, 
Vance was 24-7 business. He didn't have any time for that hanky-panky stuff that they were, you know, allegedly went on. And I'm, I'm not denying it went on not uh, uh, then it did go on. But I know during my time with him, he was, he was, he was strictly 100% business and worked his butt off each day. So what I think about Triple I, I, you know, you, you see guys, you get guys come into the business. And, you know, especially if, if you've been around the business and you've had multiple responsibilities in the business, you can kind of see a talent when they come in, how they handle themselves, how they conduct mm-hmm. themselves in the dressing room, how they conduct themselves in the ring, how they conduct themselves outside the premises of of, of a, a professional wrestling life. And I saw, well, I saw him, Paul, when he came in, I saw a guy who was dedicated to this business. A guy who was dedicated to the history of the business. Hell, he was broke in by by Killer Kowalski, one of the meanest, toughest SOBs and one of the staunchest businessmen that ever laced up a pair of boots. And you didn't cross Killer Kowalski, so you knew he had those things going for him. And the the, the intelligence that he had, not only the intelligence that he had, but you watch him in the locker room, how they manipulate yourself into the core of the roster. And how they either become a, a follower or guys get left behind or how they become a leader. And Paul immediately became that leader. Even though he wasn't a top guy at the time he came in there. Even though he had a funky gimmick at Hunter Hurst Helmsley. Uh, <laughs> and he took that gimmick and he, he grew with the gimmick. He not only grew character-wise, but he grew professional-wise where he was able to show him the HHA, Triple H. But we saw, I saw those qualities. Always knew that Paul would be a lifer in the business. And what role I never dreamed that he married a boss's daughter, number one. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I always knew that he would be a guy like a Pat Patterson or a Joe Bristol. He was in the business forever in some, some way. Pat Patterson was actually the, the next person I wanted to ask you about. In addition to your brother and the Funks, probably the most consistent person you're associated with in wrestling, what people talk about is your stooge tag team partner, Pat Patterson. Obviously, you know, I read his book. There's so much more to him. You can go on for hours. But what to you made Pat such an important figure in pro wrestling and such a great wrestling mind? Yeah, just his, his creativity, his knowledge of the business. And Pat, Pat's the... And I, you know, nowadays I compare a Michael Hayes to a Pat Patterson. Michael Hayes, Michael Hayes would probably be the next guy that's known as a Pat Patterson. Michael's got this, <coughs> excuse me, has the same qualities that, that Pat had. He loves the business. He loves every little detail of the business. And, and that's, where, that's where a lot of guys, a lot of guys are sharp, but they don't really focus on the details. Pat Patterson focused on those details. You can tell Pat a six-month program. And, and while you're telling Pat that six-month program, six-month program, he wanted to know what went on after in the fourth week of the program and how you're going to advance it that six. Pat, Pat had all those little details in his mind because of the, the spectacular and the talented people that he was around with. The Roy Sars, the Ray Stevens, you know, the Vern Gandhi, the Nick Bachland, the Eddie Graham, the Jack Briscoe, and, and on and on and on. Pat took a little bit from each one of those guys that he, he was around and built it into his own old saga. So the detail work of Pat was what Vince needed. Vince had that big, large vision out there, and Pat was able to take that big, big, you know, 
25, 30 year vision and global vision and bring it down into a nutshell where what you were doing that month, that week, and that day and that hour. So I think that was past biggest asset, the details that he was able to, to see. And even in the ring, I mean, he was just a, 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 he's yeah. one of my favorite guys to watch, too. When, when you when you go back and watch some old uh, Pat Patterson matches, he was just brilliant. The timing and everything was yeah. just perfect. And he um, brought he brought all that to to his his, his, his seminar when he, when he was teaching guys how to how to how to be a backstage guy. He would, he would bring all of those details that he had in the ring. He would, he would, he would recall those and, and stick them in. That, that's what made Pat so spectacular. So fascinating. I love talking about this stuff. Uh, we're going to move on to something we call the three count now. It's going to be three quick questions and your answers. So the first question, one thing I noticed going through your career is you had some really interesting special guest referees in your career. Who was the best and who was the worst guest referee you've ever seen? Well, the best was Joe. That most out there was him, Tim Daly by with Joe Lewis. I mean, you know, I mean, wow. I mean, I grew up, my grandma was... My grandmother loved Joe. Uh, I mean, just loved him to death. And, 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 uh, and having him in the ring with me and talking to me as an equal and just being able to be by in his presence. I mean, you, you know, you know, Phil, you meet guys, you know, you have, have a lot of respect for them, have a, have a wow. And then you meet them, well, they isn't really everything that you thought he was going to be. Joe Lewis was everything I thought he was going to be. A gentleman. An articulate man, a man that could talk anything, and a man that wasn't just focused on one thing, a man that had a broad view of the world and had the respect for our businesses. So Joe Joe probably goes down as, as one of the all-time guest referees I, I ever had. Probably in, in, on the same vein, probably one of the worst was Archie Moore, because Archie was out there to get Archie over. <laughs> <laughs> and most of them are, and we realize that. And you try to work around it, but sometimes Archie was so stiff in the ring that you got a little word that Archie would, when he had some time for him to throw that punch, that he would throw it and knock your ass out. You know? Right. Ar- Archie was not a good NHK. He was limited on the, in his mobility, too, at the time. He, he was wrestling, but. Uh, those two that go and probably go down as the best, best in the world. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out, but, but uh, those two go. I think the most unique one that I found on your list specifically was Haystack's Calhoun. <laughs> well, Haystack couldn't move at all, you know, so you had to, and it was, it was kind of good for the roster, not for the audience, because you kind of had to limit your, right. limit your, 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 your technique in the ring where you're more more in the middle of the ring so he wouldn't and you don't want to put these guys in uncomfortable situations and I think a lot of guys that had haystack put him in an uncomfortable situation where he had to be moving up and down I mean it's in some of the ribs where you can pull on these referees 20 false finishes you know <laughs> where you're getting up and down up and down one, two. and then you're blowing them up is basically what you're doing and you're doing it as a joke you know with a right. ball down. But you couldn't do that with, with haystack so you're very limited in that Right. Second question: Who is the most unique real life character you've ever encountered in pro wrestling? <laughs> and why? Man. And why? Unique. Wow. I don't know. I man, I I, I don't know how to answer that question because they're all unique to me. But uh, so it's, uh, you know I you know I had. Uh, I had Lord Athel Layton, that's a name that goes way, 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 way back to Detroit, Russian back in the 50s and 50s. 
he was working as a commentator for Jim Barnett down in uh, down in Australia when I was a rookie. And I got my trip to Australia and worked for Jim down there. Lord Athelate, and they wanted to work a gimmick with me and me and uh, the Lordship. Yeah, uh, and uh, Big Brother, Little Brother type guy, where you know, uh, Killer Austin and uh, and uh, well, uh, King Curtis would, would beat me up, and uh, and Lord Athelate, and they had all they could stand. They couldn't stand anymore. He's up in the ring of protection, and we found the fact that we were both against each other. But Layton was one of those guys that he was up there in his age and his career, so he couldn't do an awful lot. So he's he's one of them. He stands up. All right, and then the the last question I had, my uh, first wrestler that I met in my life was Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Aside from your brother, Jack, who was the first pro wrestler you ever met? Danny Hodge. <laughs> what was that? My hero. My hero. <laughs> what was that like? He's, so, he's such oh, a fun he's my guy. Hero. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, what a fun guy he was. I mean, the sense of humor that's the life. I mean, Danny grew up in a little town called Perry, Oklahoma, and of course, I was in Blackwell, Oklahoma, and we were like 15 miles apart, so... They're both amateur wrestling hotbeds. So when I was like in the, when I was about six years old, I started wrestling. I met Danny Hodge when I was six years old. He had already been a national champion boxer and a, and a three-time national champion amateur wrestler. So he was my hero from his amateur wrestling days. He just started working for me. And so he, he just started in the business of uh, he, he he actually wanted to come over to our camp over there and meet Jack, because Jack was a, a just getting up there starting college, I think, at the time. And uh, he wanted to talk to Jack about pro wrestling. So then he came to our school, came to well, not our school, but all of our wrestling camps there, and, and sat in as a technician and got to meet Jack and I. But he was the first real professional wrestler that I ever met, and he was my idol. I mean, then he came to us and they... And then going on later on and getting to meet the guy and probably with him. He, he, he remained my hero forever. That's awesome. Well, uh, Gerald Briscoe, thank you so much for joining me today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I've really, really enjoyed this. It is an honor to uh, talk to you and uh, all the best for you with, with your podcast and everything else you got going on. Uh, really, really appreciate your career and uh, I think it deserves to be celebrated for sure. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure being on here. And you've been under the ring with you. There's a hell of a lot more comfortable being under the ring with Nick Paul. I'll tell you that. Very good. Very good. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks again, everyone, for joining me today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I'd like to thank Gerald Briscoe for joining me today. It was so great to have him on the show. Follow me on Twitter at Under the Ring for the latest guest announcements. But I'll give you this one right now. Next week, joining me from WWE and Damage Control, it's Bailey. Have a great week, everyone.